On this week's Superhero Show Show, we'll find out if Alice Cooper brings her character's energy into her role as director in the Riverdale season finale, if Supergirl does a super job at directing her first episode of Supergirl, and can the opening of the Pepper Plant save Pepper's reputation on Katie Keene? All of that and more on the Superhero Show Show. What's up, nerds? Welcome to the Superhero Show Show, the only show on the internet where we review every live-action television show based on a comic book or a comic book property. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, my co-host, my dude, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Cassie? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm ready to talk about some comic book-based TV shows. Mm-hmm. It's all I've ever wanted. It's all That's all you know to talk about. Whenever we talk, I try to talk to you outside from here. You're only talking about comic books, and I just want to have a real relationship sometime. No, that's why this podcast was formed. This is the only thing I talk about anyway. <laughs> Might as well just fucking put it out there. Uh, all right, that's fair. You know it. At least you know it. That's totally fair. But this has been a little too nice. I feel like we're getting along too well, so we got to bring in a, mm. like kind of like a heel into the show right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's... Who else could we bring besides Ryan for that? Ryan? What's up, motherfuckers? Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Mike. (laughs) Fuck you, Cassie. I'm going to win today. Elbow, elbow, elbow. Yeah, I knew he would come in Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. (laughs) Blow a kiss. You got to blow a kiss. I thought you said focus. The horn kiss. Uh, have you guys noticed that you're a little more nervous than usual about asking just the, the very easy, banal question of how's it going? Because yeah. at this point, people could say fine, and we're on a podcast, and I'd like to move on. Or even on a recorded podcast, they could be like, I don't know what to do anymore. They might break down. <laughs> yeah. And because after they break down, they can say, how are you? And then it's really highlighted my privilege that I, I don't know, I truly am doing fine. <laughs> so and then I feel like a monster. But see, like what we've done is we've established a new normal where compared to our old lives, you're not doing fine. But mm. for this time, you are doing fine. And then we all have... adjusted terms. Yeah, exactly. And then, but we still also have our bad weeks where even in these adjusted terms... Things are not going good. Right. Speaking of, you guys, if we if we are getting into that, can I tell you, I cried while watching a Jonas Brothers documentary because it was just a concert and I realized I can't go to concerts anymore. I cried <laughs> while watching the Jonas Brothers. So, like, I am doing super great. Thank you for asking. And okay. So, if God comes down and says, you can go to this concert mm-hmm. and you, you're guaranteed to not get COVID, yeah. but the concert is the Jonas Brothers, you at, would go. At this point, I would go. Listen, everybody was having a blast there. I just need to go somewhere. Like Everybody knew the songs and they were shouting them. That's all I need. Would you feel bad not knowing the songs or do you know the songs? Uh, is God obviously granting you like lyric knowledge? I, he doesn't need to grant me that. I, I've been, the Jonas Brothers have been forced upon me. I could like recite all of their lyrics. Okay, so right now Cassie's going to like make some excuses. She lives with uh, pot filter superstar Caitlin, and mm-hmm. so she's going to blame it on that. But we're also talking to the person who once told me Animal Crossing is stupid and I will never play it, and now does. Yeah. I guarantee you, she's a full blown Joe. She's a full blown Joe bro mm-hmm. at this Joe point. Bro? Yeah, there's a. Is that the is that the the fans' names? Or are you all Joe bros? Yeah, we're Joe bros for sure. 
And there's a whole That's section cool. of my room where I have a shrine to them. It's just completely off where you guys can't see. This is my darkest secret. But I just wanted to, you guys to know this. Turn the Who's camera. Let us see. Yeah. Yeah. Let us show yeah, it. Yeah, right. It's right over there. You see? I don't like the hand-painted dolls. Those are freaky. You know, that was... I worked really hard on those. You see how I got That's his chin? some chant? voodoo shit. Well, yeah. I gotta, I gotta summon them somehow. How else am I gonna do it, Mike? I, like... I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go outside of quarantine. I wouldn't go. I don't, I don't even go see bands that I do like. Um, but I got to say, they've done a really good job throughout 2019 of making it hard to make fun of them. I sort of like their music. I listened to it. Uh, they had a uh, Justin Timberlake sort of turn me around on how talented they were. And I, like, I, I, you have to admit that, right? You can't, like, you can't just think that in secret and not tell people. Yeah, that that's dumb. I think it's dumb to be like, "Oh, that's pop. I hate it." But th- this is this is not me trying to be cool. This is me saying I'm old. But like, they could be playing in the background. I would not be able to say this is the Jonas Brothers. So what? What if for, for novices? What do we start with? Where do we go down? Well, I I think they had one 2019 song that you'd be like, "Oh, this is the Jonas Brothers. I like this song." Yeah. Okay. There's one. Just repeat that song. Yeah. There's one where they brought in steel drums, which is a move that they should <laughs> nice. not be able to do, but they did it, you guys, and it played on the radio a lot. Which the one that I'm talking about, Mike, is I'm a sucker for you. Ran it. Oh, look that up. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna know it for sure. So I'm glad It's about we- lollipops. Yeah. Oh, that tracks. Yeah, for sure. But did you have you guys ever are you doing the thing where like before to be real with people you could only unload real stuff like on the grocery person? Like it couldn't be anybody you knew. And now you can just do it like are you unloading all your real how you're really feeling to just anybody, or is it just nobody now? I got to say that, like, if I was that person that you're describing, which I have never heard of and nobody is, uh, <laughs> now I would definitely stop doing it on the grocery person because they're, yeah. they're second to doctor and nurse as far as, like, heroic, awful life right now. Yeah. But they're also, like, they're, they're out there on the front line, so they've seen it all. So whatever you throw at them is not the worst thing. And it's just the best judgment-free zone, honestly. Oh, Cassie, you know what I would suggest who you should do it to? Uh, a therapist. That's mm. You should uh, call one of those. Oh, okay. Get Talkspace. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace. <laughs> Watch your therapist ignore you while you're FaceTiming them. Do you know, and Mike, you already talked about this, who I used to do it to is uh, people like Mike and Cassie. And now we can only talk about superhero shows. <laughs> so I have even lost that. That's And thank you, Ryan, for getting us back on topic, because we do need to talk about superhero shows. Specifically tonight, we are digging into the Riverdale finale. But before that, a quick stop at the bullpen. <laughs> Welcome to the bullpen. We just don't have enough superhero TV shows, so we had to load it with more. We also had to check back in with our main creepy dude, the Crypt Keeper. So, Ryan, what do we got for today's bullpen? Long before The Sopranos. The Wire and Game of Thrones, a fledgling pay cable channel called HBO, is trying to make its own original programming. It realized that there was one thing it could do that no other network could or would. Make a show with nudity, graphic violence, and bone-chilling horror puns. The result was Tales from the Crypt, an anthology show hosted by the Crypt Keeper, a little gross puppet who became a superstar. The Crypt Keeper would go on to have his own game show, host the Oscars nine times, release a rap album, and marry a member of the royal family. But the show was HBO's first almost hit, giving genre fans a reason to pay for TV, something that seemed crazy back then. Taste Buds, we watched the first three episodes for tonight's segment, but before we get to each of these entries in the anthology, what did you make of Tales from the Crypt overall? (laughs) Well, let's start there because the Crypt Keeper, he is the mascot. He's the main game in town. 
Uh, and I remember his voice being so much more high pitched and, and chilling to listen to nails on chalkboard. And this is, he's just, maybe he becomes that he just has a raspy whispery voice and it was much more pleasant to listen to. Well, I think that the laugh is what people remember, which is, uh-huh. it's hard to listen to, but when he's talking, yeah, it's so like back and like, I'm just quiet and lispy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Vincent Price with ghoul makeup on. Uh-huh. I'm into it. <laughs> The the his voice isn't bad. It's just his whole aesthetic is incredibly bad because I don't know. Can you guys explain why he's like a child? Like why is he? Why yeah. is his body? So he's a dead old child. He's, he's, <laughs> he's so a dead big. old child. Uh, <laughs> if ET had a human rotted face, that, that's what the crypt keeper is. And they put him in just like normal chairs, but because of how they make him like move his little like legs to show that he's a pup or whatever, it literally looks like a little child, just like a freaky little child talking about like his kinks and stuff. And the most frightening thing is that uh, he has the body of a child, right? Like it, it, this is clearly a child who is decomposing, but the feet of like a full grown basketball player. Mm-hmm. And those are just <laughs> always front and center of the camera. Just clawed toes. He did teach me something. Um, I spend most of my time on Superhero Hour Hour show show. Uh saying hilarious puns and then i just sit here while you guys either say nothing or uh throw rotten vegetables at me and instead what i'm gonna do is i'm going to say them and then immediately cackle at the top of my lungs yeah and at least i know i liked it yeah because your that cackle will hide all of our reactions or non-reactions <laughs> it's also not going to make you any less creepy that's going to be really good for your branding um let's we watched three episodes and i do feel like there was a tone set and I don't know what you guys thought that the tone may be or what you remembered it as, but overall, what what was the tone that you picked up and did it work for you? It was not scary ever. It's macabre for sure. A macabre tone isn't all this stuff funny. It, it, that's what it feels like is if I had to take anything away and the tone sets this up is uh, everybody in the world is awful and death and violence is hilarious is what they're trying to show us. That's what all I got was a real strong theme of like people are just fucked up and here it is on display like to an extreme level. Yeah, it's it's basically like if you if you think that humans are good, just wait, right? Like if you think that uh humanity will come through, that's not going to be the case. That's sort of the point of every story. Yeah. Uh but it I mean like would you guys put this in the horror section of your blockbuster video or the comedy section? No. <laughs> it's not allowed in our blockbuster section. Get it out of here. The, like to a fault? Like do you guys think that like the show doesn't work based on these 3 episodes? I would put it in the comedy section if I'm going to actually answer. It, yeah, just cuz the the host is rotting, but not, at no point do they try to build an atmosphere of fear. Like they, they, there's no horror here. It always does seem it's 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 twilight zone without a moral message. It's twilight zone with a very like nihilistic message. Uh, which puts it in, like, dark comedy, I guess. Yeah, dark comedy. Or is it, like, is it almost a parody? Just because it seems to be, like, making, like... It's not really making points, but it is trying to, like, almost make fun of horror, but also humanity. Like, it's the it's mm-hmm. a weird little cross-section where... Yeah, I mean, like, that's a really interesting question. D- is it uh, a horror show that just didn't have, the like, the chutzpah to go full horror? And so then it, like, keeps its tongue in its cheek because it's insecure about it? Or does it think all of that shit is stupid... And then pulls that off. Like, yeah. also, don't you think it is stupid? Yeah, I, I think it's when when you love a kind of thing, you make fun of it. Like, a, a lot of horror shows had this vibe. Elvira had it. 
Uh, she kind of made fun of it at the same time. The Dracula from Gremlins 2, he got it that you're supposed to make fun of horror. Uh, it's Because the good is very good, but when it's bad, it's so bad. So why don't we make stuff that's bad and then make fun of it? Which I think is a little dangerous because non-horror fans are going to say that this is too, like, not scary, but, like, overly gruesome. And horror fans are going to be like, uh, you're making fun of me and not giving me what I want, so fuck you. Right. I think being a half an hour lets you get away with a lot. If they had the balls to make an hour-long episode of that and do that, it'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's fucking move on, man. Well, here's the thing. The 30-minute thing I think is important because watching these three, it made me sort of realize that this is not to get scared, but it's to let very, like, literally very famous directors mm-hmm. sort of, like, not be burdened by giant budgets and audience and just go to fucking town. And so as short films, you know, not like... Are they are they funny or are they scary or some combination? But just as short films, did they work for you guys in that way? Yeah, especially when I saw that the second episode was directed by Robert Zemeckis, I was fucking blown away. Yeah, the se- the second one is the Christmas one. Yeah, and just be like, and then you're okay. Everything I know about him and his work, and comparing it to this, it's like, oh, you get you let your hair down, man. You're just doing whatever the <laughs> fuck you want, and you don't need to make family friendly movies right now. That's what it was interesting to like on their own. They definitely, I feel like they worked for me because they did all seem to like, they're just completely stand out on their own. Like you could in 30 minutes, just enjoy them with whatever story this person's telling. I didn't know there was just like a whole bunch of different like directors on it. So that's cool that it can like still work as an overall with just like this theme of like, here's like a little story I got for you and just let people kind of go loose with it. I think there's nothing too of like a kid Icarus or just Icarus. If you, kid Icarus was a Nintendo game. Icarus is the myth. <laughs> um, if you're, if you're too cocky, if you're too, if you're flying too close to the sun, then you will get your comeuppance. But mm-hmm. that's just storytelling in general. That's not something that's specific to tales. Let's go through the episodes. Uh, the first one I think was a really weird choice for the first one. Yeah, uh, it set a tone for sure. It was William Sadler, who, uh, if you guys don't recognize that actor, he is uh, the villain of Die Hard Two, and then also Death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh shit! He's the one who sat down and played chess with Bill and Ted. Um, it's about a guy who flips the switch and murders uh, people on death row. And then, you're never going to believe this, he ends up on death row. He loses his job and then becomes a vigilante to uh, kill people who are not getting the appropriate amount of punishment after their crimes. Um, I, like, I don't even know where to start here. Like as, as, like as the first entry, what did you guys think about this 30 minutes? What was weird is he's constantly talking to the audience, mm-hmm. and the way like they don't this this director I, I didn't catch who this one was uh, doesn't care about like geography or realism that so much. So sometimes he'll be in a prison hallway and then he'll walk and suddenly he's on a bridge. So I thought he was death for a while, and after a while it took me like no, he's a human who has a job. He's just moving around and his fares Buellering his little story. <laughs> we call that Deadpooling now, but yes, uh, the director was Walter Hill who directed The Warriors in 48 Hours. Okay. And then sort of went away for a long time until this episode. I mean, yeah, it was like, it was a strong one to start with because overall the tone is like really dark and this dude is just so fucked up. So to see, because you get him when he's talking directly to you, it's just like exactly what's going through his mind, just no filter. And you're like, okay, all right, I don't, this dude has some serious issues. And then you just see him like, just straight murder people, and then like titties were on screen at some point, and it was just it, it was throwing a lot at you in this first episode, including a crazy moment where uh, titties are on screen, and then he looks at the camera, and 
he was like, I don't know if you are fully realizing that this is the 80s. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how bitches are stupid and uh, fucking women are worse than men. And I think that this is what we do in the late 80s is just have like a little misogynistic monologue in the middle of whatever mm-hmm. we're doing. <laughs> and then for this episode, you talk about how you're going to electrocute the girl in the cage. They, uh, for doing her job. Like everybody else, you saw what their issue was. It did seem like he was going to kill this stripper because she was a stripper. That mm-hmm. one was weird. Well, I mean, like once you start murdering Mike, that's what happens, right? The lines yeah, become blurred. Fix. <laughs> I, William Sadler tried out to be one of the, the people who were murdered. And then he said, give me the lead. I want the lead. And he tried out for it. Uh, the other people who they wanted to try out were like John Malkovich and Daniel Day-Lewis. Like they had high hopes for this part. And William Sadler won them over. Wow. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see William Sadler's performance carrying this episode? Because it is the odd Tales from the Crypt episode in that it's a character piece more than like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what's going to happen. It, it does. I feel like he, ca- he taps into why people like the Punisher. Like that I'm going to kill, here's the, the dark vigilante and isn't everything bad so let's just laugh while people die gruesomely. And I think he tries to let you in on that joke with like, oh, you're doing it with me because I'm talking to you. And he does carry that a surprisingly decent way. That bullshit thing you just said makes me like the episode way more. <laughs> like, I think you are super right right there. Cassie, what do you think of the lead performance? I think he did. He definitely did do. It was a good job because he plays. He plays up that like I am the god. Like I get to decide what is right and wrong. Like I will take this justice into my hand very well. Because he never shows like he only shows slight anger is the only emotion you really get out of him. Like you just see that he like it's just this like underlining always angry burning like justice underneath him and that he thinks he's always right. And then by the end, once it's like he's in the chair, that's when you see a full breakdown from him. Where he does exactly what he said, like he's like everyone. He always cries, and then he they see him crying, and that was to see like real true emotion from him. Not until that end, I think, did work for me. And I, I think they might be doing something about like if you're in that job, you see every prisoner as like meat or just another number, and actually they are a human, and you can tell because now you're that human doing that. I also think that drawl was he relied on that. But this is I, I would say definitely the worst of the three. Let's get to the second one. This is probably the most famous episode of all time. This is Robert Zemeckis directed. He made Forrest Gump, uh, the entire Back to the Future trilogy, used cars. This is called All Around the House. And this is about a lady who kills her daughter's stepdad, her current husband, uh, and tries to get rid of him. In the meantime, somebody escaped from a mental hospital uh, wearing a Santa Claus outfit and is coming after her. Yeah, this one was by far my favorite, like, because it threw so much at you in those first five minutes. Because at first you just see, like, this lady who ends up killing her husband, who her little piece of shit husband. You get a little glimpse of that he sucks. She murders him. And then the kid comes downstairs. And then you get this, like, whole new surprise that the kid calls him, like, James or something. So at Uh, that point I was like, oh, shit, is it a stepdad? And then you get confirmation. (laughs) Stepdad being the scariest thing of all. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much, like, there was so many plot lines going in right at the beginning. And then, it like, I was on board as soon as, like, she sends, like, the kid to go upstairs to bed. And she was like, how come, like, Jim didn't wake up or whatever? And he's like, nothing could wake up your stepfather. And then he goes upstairs. (laughs) I was so on board for this one from that instant. Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Definitely the best tagline of the three we watched. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is the perfect Tales from the Crypt in that it feels like the writer and director. By the way, Mike, the writer? Yes. Fred Decker. Oh, who's that? What did he write? What did he direct? What did he write and direct? Did you notice that Larry Drake, the guy who played 
Santa Claus was a bit of a monster? And do you yes. feel like that the lady, the blonde lady who also played Sean's mom in the Monster Squad, she, uh, and everybody it's the writer of the Monster Squad, it's the writer and director of the Monster Squad. Not only is she the mom in the Monster Squad, she's a mom in the Goonies. She's in Die, and she's, she's in a Die mom Hard. In Parker Lewis. She basically plays this character in everything she's ever been in. Um, actually, Shane Black wrote Monster Squad. Sorry, Shane Black's brother wrote the third episode of Tales from the Crypt. So it's all crazy. Uh, but the reason why this is one of my favorite episodes is because it feels like the the filmmaker said, "Oh, we have twenty minutes. Let's do something that's twenty minutes." You know, and it's yeah. like a plot shotgun, and then just creepy, cool stuff for twenty minutes mm-hmm. long. You know, this one and ends gruesomely. It fucking it end the, the you think she like oh she killed her her. We can assume the stepdad was a bad guy. She kills him, and then she's fighting uh, Crazy Santa, and then he has her daughter with an axe, and then it cuts, and then the Crypt Keeker just cackles, and you're like, oh, that guy axed that little girl, but even this show did not want to show that. <laughs> Crypt Keeper! <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I love the, this is the director experiment that I sort of like, of let's just see if I can keep it tense for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Part of the way that he made it tense was that the lady has no idea how doors work, and doors keep outsmarting her more than any villain in the thing does. Uh, and I also have to give it up to a very old school, like 50s Hollywood ending scream. Not by the Crypt Keeper, but by the blonde lady. Yeah. She screams for a solid 90 seconds, and we sit there and watch yeah. the entire time. It's the most crazy, the most crazy scream. But this is the one that had like was the closest one to being scary that we watched because there was just so much suspense in it because every time she would like she thought something was going wrong she would stand by the window when he already came through the window like three times she was like let me just go right back to you <laughs> i'll be safe now <laughs> he can't do it again the third episode the joey pants episode featuring Arliss, is not the scariest one but i think the closest of the three to the twilight zone surprise ending mm-hmm. Uh, this is an episode where somebody gets a little bit of cat brain in their brain. Sure. And then they have nine lives and capitalize on that. I think mm-hmm. th- this is the most typical tales. Would you guys still put it second place? Yeah. I, I, want it, I think it helps when you get actors that are entertaining to watch, like Joey Pants and Arliss. Uh, they are very compelling. You want to see them be sleazeballs, and they're very good at being sleazeballs. Uh, circuses are creepy, so setting anything in a circus is always going to be good. Uh, and having it definitely has that. Uh, it would latch on like years later with like Human Centipede, like that weird body horror. Let's it's sci-fi. I could have made a superhero instead. I made this circus freak. <laughs> I think I would still put it separate though because it is this one does have like because it is based on like he got a like a gland from a cat, so now he has nine lives. So it does have that strong like parody feeling to it still. Where it isn't like you know, like this one isn't as real. Where the other one was just like the Santa Claus episode was just it seemed more realistic in a way. Like it, that one was solely just like a person got loose and was on a murder spree. Right? This yeah. That, straight up, like, what if we put a cat brain in a guy? <laughs> the Christmas one was more eighties horror. Yeah. And that uh, that that third one, the cat one, was more like forties fifties horror. Let's like right. come up with some crazy gimmick and everyone's gonna believe it, and then let's see what happens. But but uh, pretty subtle and subtle in Tales from the Crypt uh, spectrum is the the grossest scariest part of this is all the people who are champing the bit and throwing money so they get to kill Oric the Undying mm-hmm. to the point that one guy says I've been killing people for years and now it's your turn before he shoots him in the heart. It's like why has this archery contest winner been killing people for years? We don't fucking learn that at all. Yeah. Uh- two things with that is that one. This is not a scary episode at all. It's uh it's a story with like a twist ending 
Um, it, it really shows off the cartoony makings of tales with the mm-hmm. circus, the music, the camera angles. Like we're we're going to make this more like surreal and crazy, uh, and like hit yourself on the head with a mallet than we are like going to make it creepy and uh, you know yeah. like moody. Um, but yeah, it like the twist ending. I think is uh, what people are really looking for. Did the twist ending really? Did it sell the episode for you guys? Yeah, so the the twist is he's like, oh, I've had nine lives. This will be my last one because I've done eight. And then as he's buried alive, he's been in there for a few hours. Just think about his whole life. And he's like, wait, the cat died. I've only had eight. I'm going to die now. And him freaking out about that. Yeah, it worked. Joey Pants, man. It somewhat worked, except like that was all like I think when you, they give you like a very specific rule of like there's nine lives and you give it to like this fool, like obviously that's going to be the part that, that trips him up. So like you knew it was coming, but it was like just to have him like in the moment to get from the monologue that he's been telling that whole time was when he was buried. And then to just be like, oh, no, oh, look at me count now when it's too late. <laughs> look at me count now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say that every time I count. It is. It's overly reliant on that twist hitting, but the yeah. first time I saw it, when I was six, the twist really hit, so it's it's forever burned into my brain. And it does, and I don't mean this mockingly necessarily, but it really, the only time I watched it was sleeping over friends' houses, because uh, we didn't have cable, but this is the perfect horror, comedy horror, whatever, for 10-year-olds mm-hmm. and under, like... It's fucking weird, and it will help form what you... I understand your pun is now, because you watched this at six years old, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the person that raised me is the Crypt Keeper. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like, imagine being, you know, 35 in 1987, and Cassie, I was not. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think... The clarification. I was trying to do the math. I, I think that you're watching it to see directors direct and what they're going to mm-hmm. do, and it's really not to be scared or even laugh like that the horror is not scary and the comedy is not funny but i do think that there was a dearth of entertainment and genre fans didn't have that much back then yeah. so you just you love that you're being talked to at all especially 30 minutes a week you know because yeah. like you might get a horror movie every month or so so to have like that 30 minute shot into your vein i think it was worth it and a bit you have a bunch of people over in your dad's basement or whatever pop some popcorn drink some schlitz and you probably just make fun of it, even though it knows it's funny. I could see people being like, "What? How stupid!" And just like, "It's that's your Friday night." But if I was making fun of it, I would I would know that the, it's with me. It's you uh-huh. know, we're me and the show are doing it together, as opposed to like the movie Cats, right? You know, <laughs> per se, per se. Uh, is it better than uh, Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House? I have to say, it is better than Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. Uh, <laughs> There was more drama that I could see people caring about this one. There was no weird host. Uh, we'll have to watch the Crypt Keeper cartoon next and see if it holds up to that. Or see which one is the best of all of them. I mean, this one I couldn't like dunk on kids except for the dumbass kid that brought the murderer into the house. So like, it did lose some points for me there. But overall, it is it is more entertaining. Like, this is something you could talk to your friends about instead of just like the kids' game show you watched over the weekend. Like, then you're a weirdo. <laughs> and look like a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told nobody I watched that on the toilet. Did you think it was weird that the kid who brought Santa Claus the murderer into the house then ran to the wall and spelled llama l l l a m a? That was weird. And that's what that that's what they spun that up into its own. Show. Show. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah, I would I would be down. I'm not suggesting this, but I'm just saying hypothetically, I would be down to do an episode of Tales every week from here on out. But it would be a let's focus on what the director did as opposed mm-hmm. to what was scary, what was funny, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we did it because uh, typically we're watching like the Incredible Hulk and bullshit that I've never seen before. This took me back to every sleepover I've ever been to. Yeah. And I cannot get enough of the Crypt Keeper. 
When we come back, Cassie, you're going to take over. Mm-hmm. But like, I'll probably also take over. I'm going to interrupt yeah. a lot. You're on here, so essentially everybody knows that. You don't got to say it. We know it. Okay, I was trying to compliment me, but then you insulted me. Nope. Dunk you. Dunk you straight into the ground. But dunk we, you! We... <laughs> dunk me, dunk you. <laughs> Mike, but somebody... Yeah, don't... What? Who? Cassie, somebody... Riverdale, I... next. Okay, so... thank you. <laughs> on the finale of the truncated fourth season of Riverdale, it's the students' last stand against Principal Honey, as the evil high school overlord has canceled the yearbook and senior prom. Two things that the three of us will admit now are super important and you think about every day. That leaves the students of Riverdale with no choice but to enlist the help of the parents, including episode director Madchen Amick. Honey gets fired and then possibly murdered, but not before the students get a 20-minute lecture from some old bitch about how the wonderful Principal Honey was. Taste buds, I ask you this. How do we think Alice Cooper handled this episode? Can we real quick talk about how uh, Cassie handles the intro? Cassie... That first sentence that you said was like seven sentences all jammed into one sentence. Can we not break that up a little bit? No, I don't like that. I just got to throw it all together. I have a lot of ideas going around in my mind, and I'm just going to put them in one sentence. Man, how many clauses? She's been told that all intro should be three sentences, and that's Mm -hmm. how she gets away with it. She's like, I read to the lighthouse. I know how to write a fucking Wolfian sentence. That sentence had more clauses than a Santa family reunion. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mike will be the only one that supports you on that. I'll let this go dead air. Uh, here's what I noticed. Uh, I noticed that I was paying attention to it more because when it's some no-name director, I do not pay attention at all. And so I was looking for stuff. And there was a couple moments that I thought were cool. She had the, um, I don't know, she had the need to uh, have a Riverdale written by Jughead story and a Riverdale mm-hmm. in real life quote-unquote story going at the same time and keep those separate. And although there were a couple times I did get confused, there were a couple of good moves that I liked. I liked watching uh, a real conversation happen, and then mm-hmm. it goes like the camera keeps going, and then just like turns the corner, and now it's on Reggie's locker where Reggie died. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. I know that we flipped into the story, and yeah, good job, Maginamic. <laughs> yes, yeah, so somebody less maginical would have had to have like now we're in the story underneath, like but she like did Law and Order like, style, yeah. Boom, boom. And she just did little tricks to let you know, for the most part, that worked, like you said, uh, which we were, yeah, there's uh, where we were. A lot I'll, of times it would, you know, to transfer over because Betty would say something crazy about how, like, murder is cool and fine. And then you'd be like, all right, now let's see how that plays this out. This is the real one. But it does highlight, like, what Jughead thinks of all of his friends, but especially his girlfriend. He's terrified of her. <laughs> and it's hard because uh, Betty, the Jughead character, and Betty, the Riverdale character were the least dissimilar. Like, Betty mm-hmm. is, in real life, that fucking crazy. And so then has to read a story where Jughead's like, I know that you're that crazy. I know <laughs> that, like, you will sometimes suggest murder as a joke. And we all have to sit here and not know if you're being serious or not. Look, you, we see you play it out in your head and how you're envisioning it. We all witness that <laughs> every week. The other major thing that happened as, uh, as far as directing goes is that I'm going to direct this... And I'm also an actor. Then there will be a slow motion scene of me leading a group down a hall because I get to do that now. Because there's a dash of real Alice Cooper in her. <laughs> she brought it for sure. There was like the um. So that scene, like that was what was I really enjoyed about the episode is that it it had two things going that are very Riverdale that I always like uh, attribute to Riverdale. There was very 
like almost mundane high school shit where they are incredibly angry that this principal would dare take a yearbook and prom from them and they're gonna get the parents involved for that but then also it's riverdale so let's see if we get back to him what if we murdered him as a fun <laughs> prank like they did have it brought like the perfect attributes of riverdale to this one episode they yeah, just jughead definitely understands the show riverdale mm-hmm. and you can tell that by reading his story <laughs> They decided that uh, the prank they were going to do, and I, I think this is the one where Reggie was like, I fuck it, uh, I'm going to blow your guys' mind with this prank. And it was gluing his hand to the phone. and His butt to the seat and his hand to the phone. Okay, so oh, he has dude, to be wheeled forget. out by security. And for some reason, they wait until class, it's in between classes. So yeah. everybody in the school is out to watch. <laughs> and every every Riverdale, Riverdale character is watching this being like, fuck, yes, we did this. And then if you look at Betty, she's like, this is bullshit. This is lame. We, sh- we could have just killed him. This is awful. Well, that's it is confusing because this is in the real storyline. Uh, there's a bunch of crazy stuff that happens. The craziest, the Jughead gets into Iowa, depending on one more story. <laughs> Iowa says, you're in if you send us one more story. And Mike, but, uh, I'm sorry, you are a, uh, in real life, a uh, collegiate writer about town. You have dabbled in every single school that is good at like teaching you writing iowa's up there right iowa rejected my ass <laughs> iowa is the best <laughs> so bad blood here. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm furious that jughead's pulpy stories would get him into iowa but i want to point that out because iowa is known for like having a primary and then being full of stupid people right but it's yeah. somewhere in the middle of the state is the single best writing school that you could yeah. possibly go to because there's nothing else to do there, so why not write? But so Jughead gets into Iowa. This is all in the real stuff. Betty does suggest they kill Honey, and then they do the glue thing. That is, I kept getting confused and thinking that was just Jughead's st- story. But no, no, real Bell- Be- Betty, quote-unquote, jokes about how they should just murder him. <laughs> and it- then, like... They go into the whole, like, I don't know, is it a director choice? Do directors get to put in the actors? Because when the principal is getting rolled out by, like, firemen or whatever, she put, the like, it was the buffest fireman. Like, all you got was bicep, and it was the biggest arm I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I don't know who made that choice, but also very Riverdale right there. I'd be surprised if that was in the screenplay, honestly. Like, this fire, and, like, yeah, for her to say that, like, you know, I mean, directors have to be thinking, like, I don't, especially TV, I don't have that much control here. You know, it has to look like every episode of Riverdale. So what I'll do then to really send this point home is find the guy with the biggest arm possible to make Principal Honey look that much smaller, that much weaker. (laughs) So good job, Madchenamic. Talking about how Riverdale blends high school stuff and it's wackadoo. Uh, Charles, Jughead, and Betty early on are talking about the murders and the voyeur and like the the fake Archie Comics mask pseudo-murders, whatever's going on. She's like, well... I'd love to help you guys investigate these murders, but uh, I have to go finish proofing the yearbook tonight. I haven't laughed that hard in fucking weeks. Uh, that's actually why Veronica has like sort of fallen off as a favorite character, is because everyone else balances their high school mm-hmm. life with their insane psychopath, sociopath, murdering, vigilante, you know, saving the world, all of these lives. They, they think of everything as equal. Veronica has officially forgotten about how important your books and proms are. And so yeah. that's why she's like not that great anymore. Because she's running a club. Yeah. And s- rum smuggling. <laughs> rum smug smuggler course. over there. <laughs> there was, so like by the end we find out that the principal was apparently this great guy and was doing all this to help them. But there does, like, he does turn down the yearbook because it's like two days late. And I don't know what he was protecting them from there except to like teach Betty that like deadlines are important because two days mm-hmm. late is significantly late. Like she was like, it's just two days. And you're like, that's a good amount of time. It's hard to watch this as a 75-year-old grandfather of 12. Uh, <laughs> it's probably different than people who are actually 12 watching this. Yeah. But 
Principal Honey does bring up some good points. Like, if I don't stick to my shit, then you guys are never going to learn a lesson. I think that he is a good principal, except when it comes to Betty. I think that he specifically wants Betty to rot in hell or jail. And Kevin. Uh, and Kevin's gay, and he probably doesn't like that. But uh, for everybody else, he's like, no, I have to make you guys better people by the time you graduate high school. Real Honey, again, this is Real Honey, not Story Honey, looks at them, and this is after he's been fired. He says, what goes on around here, murder, mayhem, depravity, it's not normal. Uh And Real Betty, not Story Betty, says, well, it's normal to us, and that's why we had to stop you. (laughs) This is why... That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a company and like an assistant manager quits, you have to decide whether to promote someone, and then all of the murder and shit is going to continue because that's what they're used to. Or bring in somebody from the outside, and they're going to be like, what the fuck is going on here? You can't just have murder whenever you want. Do you think... So now that he's going to be the headmaster of the Stonies, is he now, like... Is he... He wasn't, apparently, like, the bad guy before. But do you think we get, like, future seasons a transition into, like, he now has an actual vendetta against these kids who, like... Because they did ruin his career there, but he's got a pay bump and everything everywhere else. Yeah, so he's I think like, he's, he delightedly laughed in their face that he got promoted. Yeah, he's ba- like, you dumb kids. Based on history, if he's the headmaster of Sony, he's going to see a window and then jump out that window <laughs> as hard as he can. But no, I also love the idea of, I feel like me getting like rode out on rails in this situation is like a month away. I'm going to start applying now. That's what mm-hmm. he did, you know. He like he made sure that he secured that next job, and so I think he's going to be fine, if not better. I mean, it becomes very clear when you have that powerhouse of PTA parents who walk down a hall in slow motion to come after you. Like you know, your time is coming. Once they bring in those parents, like that is a ni- that has to be a nightmare situation for. A I loved how he was just standing outside of his office, and he could hear the slow motion clicks of high heels <laughs> on the ground. Christ, I got to deal with this now. He does, like, he is a dickhead. I, I disagree with his secretary. So maybe he wrote Jughead a letter of rec that was a paragraph long, so shitty letter of rec. Uh, but to the parents, when they're like, no, prom should happen, he told Molly Ringwald he would help get her disbarred. The minute he was like, oh, you stepped to me, I will ruin your fucking careers. The other thing, too, the, the reason why it's so perfect is that uh, every uh, High school character of Riverdale has basically been telling their parents for four years, you have no power over me. I have complete mm-hmm. autonomy. And now they're coming to the parents saying, actually, I, uh, could you help me out? And they're like, fuck yes. And now <laughs> like, that's going to convince them to do anything. So they will, like, they will do whatever it takes to have this person burned on a stake if it will make their kids respect them again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will get you prom, baby. Anything you need. You're out there murdering and maple boarding people? Like, Yeah. I'm here how, how how did the, the the blurred line of fiction and fact of Jughead's story so, like half this episode was his story? The minute we know it's fake, what's the point of sitting in it? What 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 is the show trying to do here? Plus, we were also watching this as a finale when it was mm-hmm. not written and directed as a finale. You know, right. so like it feels much more like wasted time to us than it would if this was if there was three episodes left. You know, do you think the show is a becoming what? late great greg used to say is the show fully knows it's a show and that's what it's turning into or is it like just being tongue-in-cheek because stuff that happened in jughead's story does he has the character's voices down and there's moments like reggie saying am i the only one who hasn't gotten rid of a dead body before and story rg says no no time like the present bro but real them that is also true only of them reggie hasn't gotten rid of a dead (laughs) body i know it's a real dangerous gimmick because at the same time we're thinking one Jughead sucks as a writer. Like he's Aww. barely better than Riverdale writers, and that's not what it takes to be called the the genius of your time. And two, I also miss old Riverdale. Like all of the stuff that like 
isn't supposed to be taking place is the stuff that I got two seasons ago mm-hmm. that that was canon, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, that what is, I don't know what, like, where the story would be going from here or what all points they're making with the, the voyeur. Because the episode ends with, like, Betty and Jughead getting a tape of a cabin. And these two fucks are just like, are, obviously, we were just going to show up to this cabin. Like, nobody would ever do that. But they're like, yeah, let's go to this cabin. And then they, there's a tape there and they pop that in. And it's this murder, they're like fantasy murder getting played out with masks of their like comic book characters. But and like I don't that, know if this is like a threat to them or where this would have gone. Or that's why I love Betty is because Jughead sees the tape, knows that there's murder happening. He knows for sure. Murders are going down right now. Like people are losing their lives. Uh, I know where this cabin in and Betty says, I'm going to grab my keys. And that's like, that's it's it. not ride or die. It's ride and die. Betty, <laughs> Betty and Jug are going to go out until they fucking get killed. And you know that also because of the point we said where, like, he, Jughead wrote Betty so savagely in the story. And he was like, yeah, I left the story on the desk. Like, you should read it. And then she just talks about it. She's like, wow, I'm pretty insane in this, huh? And he's like, yep. And that is just their relationship. They know this. And it sucks for Betty so much because her alternatives are Jughead, who's like, here's a story about Betty. She's a fucking murderous cunt who is evil as shit. (laughs) Or Archie, who writes a song that's like, your blonde hair's like yellow, but it's not. It's blonde. And so <laughs> which option do you pick? But at least Story Archie also respects enough to let, when they're planning, says, we need to think strategically. Betty, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> and that is the realest Archie line that's ever been read. That is true. Uh, the only other part I think Archie got in this was everybody has been banned from prom except for him and Jughead. And he snaps and he points at Jughead and he's like, me and you, bro. And that's it. That's where we need to keep Archie is just uh, creating Kevin Keller's fan fiction. And that is it. (laughs) That and him just piping in when they're all going to like with what colleges they're going to. And they all have futures ahead of him. And him like, I'm going to the Naval Academy. Like, (laughs) hell yeah, kid. So proud of you. You're being great. But why does every time he says Naval Academy, he pulls his shirt up and then like fingers his (laughs) navel. Is that weird? (laughs) Yeah, it's a little weird. (laughs) But he knows his character. I mean, overall, I know during these times, like, it wasn't a planned finale, but do you feel like it, did it, did it have enough going on for it where it was a satisfying enough? We all have lowered expectations in this time. We've talked about that. So is, was this an acceptable finale? I think it would have been more acceptable. Like, really, all you have to do is sell the ending and ensure that I'm going to watch next season, right? Mm-hmm. And so we did have what I believe to be Principal Honey being murdered by right. uh, a group of people in comic book Archie masks. And that's a good ending, even if it's not the season finale. It can serve as one if it at any point looked like they were stabbing him at all. But it was the fucking <laughs> fakest, weakest, like, I have rubber knives in my hand stabbing that I have ever seen. Not a single one of those actors were like, I'm going to stab him for reals. <laughs> well, maybe they're at, that's what's weird. So the voyeur is sending all these tapes, watching them, and then they'll these these comic book murders. But so this person has a cult of people. And I mean, this show's done with cults before. So they just like hire actors to put on masks. Like, I want to know the mechanics of the group doing this to them. So I'm definitely watching next season. Uh, I feel take- like b- based off of those stabbing, it's just like, it's like the high school theater group. Like that was a very Jersey boy stabbing. Like it was all in time <laughs> and everything. So it's for sure just a group of like theater kids. And they're like, let's mess with some kids. If they sang a song by the Four Tops, would that have made it better? <laughs> uh, yes. We have a, uh, we sort of have like a history of, taking bets on Riverdale shit. Do you guys think you have an idea of who was behind all of this? Charles. Oh, I was going to say Charles. he's the new character. Yeah. Charles just stands there and he's always like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> Charles is an FBI agent who wants to become a director 
And he's like, I'll just practice in this weird New York upstate town for a while. That's what, because every time he's on screen, like his character doesn't make sense to be there except for him to be something more involved. Because he's kind of, he's just there like, found a tape, let's watch it, you guys. And that's his whole role. So he's got He's a shitty law enforcement officer. (laughs) Oh man, I also like that, uh, that Betty and Jughead sex tape is floating out there and (laughs) Betty got back and (laughs) Betty got back and I... Jughead and Charles said that they had just watched the tape, and I was so nervous that Charles sat there and watched the Betty tape. And that's his sister, yes? <laughs> that is his sister, yes. <laughs> that might have been the real season finale. We will never know. Uh, currently, Riverdale is on Wednesdays on the CW, I think. Who knows what it will play when it gets back. But you can watch it there. Coming up next, we're going to talk about all the other shows we watched at The Pull List. <laughs> Welcome to The Pull List. Our first show of the week is Vagrant Queen. On this week's Vagrant Queen, Alita has decided to call it quits as soon as they fix the ship and get off Wix. But Isaac is ready to prove himself as he gets Alita through the worst bug bite acid trip of her life. While this is going on, we see the urgency of getting this crew back together as Lazaro takes control of the the Republic armed with mind control and a spoon. Taste buds, I ask you this. Death by spoon is for sure the worst way to die that that we just never thought of, right? Oh my god, one of my favorite parts in movie history. <laughs> oh, is it from in a movie they do a spoon murder too? Uh, they get hot out with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why a spoon, cousin? Because it'll hurt more. Yeah. Uh, spoon is great. Spoon is, everybody goes to knife, but it should all, be all about the spoon. Oh, it'll hurt more. It was Alan like, Rickman taught us that. <laughs> it was like, so, Lazaro, he like storms into the Republic and he makes them all fight each other. And there was like, so we got to see somebody brutally murdered with a spoon, but it started off with where he gave one guy a fish and told him to get creative, and I thought we were going to see a murder with a fish, and I've never <laughs> been more excited, but he just tossed that fish and then grabbed a bottle. But that would be, like, there was two very real, like, this new ways to die put before my eyes that I never considered before, and I was like, I don't know what you could do with that fish, but I don't like it. Yeah, every single time that I think that I'm done with Lazaro, like, that's, that's enough. Then mm. the next episode is like, ah. One more episode. I think I'm going to give him one more episode. And this one was good because he doesn't just use his power to kill people, but he made uh, a very old man. Uh, like, he had to introduce Lazaro to the room, and he made him dance and prance around like crazy. <laughs> so it's not just murder. Like, he, that guy fucking danced way better than the actor is probably capable of. Mm-hmm. I think that Lazaro's power is real, and he made that actor <laughs> dance like that. That beautiful leap he had, it was like a gazelle, and then down to his knees, it was it was truly a work of art that this guy put together. But is the spoony thing, spoony knife, is that the kidney thing? Where, is that what you're talking about, where the guy had to find his kidney, but he, he was not allowed to make a noise? Oh, no, that was brutal as an opening scene. What the motherfuck, Cassie? Yeah. Uh, and this actor, who also had like blue goo and like weird ears and all that shit that you get when you're on Vagrant Queen, uh, had to silently react to what it would be like to dig through your guts and find <laughs> your kidney. And Lazaro just kicked back, and he wasn't enjoying it, but he wasn't grossed out. It was this weird sort of middle ground that I just I, I'm not out on Lazaro yet. I'm just not out. <laughs> it was it was very weird because it was very like like almost sciency. It was just like straight up. He was like. That's not the kidney. Keep digging. <laughs> just like, I know what it looks like. Keep going for it. You didn't get it. I'm yet. here to teach you. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to find it. Yeah. Um, the Alita drug thing. I have an issue with drug trips and dreams in shows because I think it's a bunch of bullshit. It's it's you know it's not canon. It's just easy ways to like develop characters. I felt the same thing here. Like, did did we get anything from Alita out of uh, this drug trip? I don't think it was anything out of Alita. Like the only scene that like. 
kind of like I almost felt something was when she we thought she was going to be done with the drug trip and she like wakes up and you think she's waking up for real but she sees her mom there and then she sees the bullet going to her mom and it's slow enough where she can like try to stop it like okay, that, was that the had one. some impact yeah that was the one but all the one like the rest of it where like Isaac was just like pulling her through the desert trying to get her through safety and we saw her trips there like those were nothing that was just showing me like I just felt bad for Isaac in that episode because he just kept taking these punches man it was, and that was so a, brutal. That was a pretty good gimmick. Throughout the entire episode, uh, she would run into one of her villains from the past and then just start punching. But it was always Isaac. And he was always like, I'm sorry. Shit. <laughs> How can I tell you I'm sorry? Um, but ultimately, what it typically feels like is that uh, the writers have uh, some good ideas for May and Isaac and Lazaro. And we don't have anything for Alita. So just throw her through a drug trip. You know, just yeah. have her do that. It was, like, the story is all kind of, like, surrounded Alita, but she's definitely the one getting, like, the least amount of growth, like, the least, like, progress is being made with her. They just have, I don't know if they have too much story with her. I don't know what's happening with Alita where they can't really bring home anything it's, happening to her. It's a, it's a constant lead character thing where, like, we're so scared of moving her forward too fast that we have to slow it down. And when we slow it down, we don't have any ideas and it's boring. Yeah. And I hope that this was a one-off because the show hasn't really done this yet. It, it did it in this one. But now... Let's focus on Alita, please. Yeah. Yeah. Did the, um, so this was a lot on, we did get to see like Isaac going through a lot. Did any of that, like, did you feel any like pain for Isaac? Cause like when Alita said like your family is better off without you. And I know that because I am better off without you. And by the end he accepts that he's just never going to see his family again. Like that will like a moment w- did get me. I mean, it's hard. I have said that line to six different stepdads. So <laughs> that sort of makes it lose its effect. But, uh, no, like, uh, even though he's Tim Rosan, and even though, like, I love him from other shows, I'm sort of with Alita here. Like, this guy should pay. This guy should pay more. Like, what he did was a very, very selfish act. What he did was he thought that, like, he was now in a different universe that doesn't matter. I just have to get home to my home universe, and these people are made up and stupid. Um, I know that's not going to happen for much longer because, again, he's Tim Rosen, but... Uh, yeah, I do. I do like the fact that he should pay, and he ha- he has to make those eyebrows work. And instead of like up and down, like look at the uh, funny thing I just said, they mm-hmm. have to go like down a little bit and be yeah. sad. He should do a couple of episodes of that. <laughs> Give me those side eyebrows. So forty years wandering through the desert, not enough punishment for this guy. You need longer. You need more. Uh, I mean, like I don't, I don't want to nitpick, but forty one, I think, is appropriate. At least, at the very least, for selling out your friend, uh, Ryan. Do you have a moment of the week? Especially a friend who has been. So fucked up, like by being sold out, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're gonna fuck a friend thing. like that, find somebody who has never been backstabbed before. Not someone <laughs> who, who just expects it. it. It's essentially uh, she's like, I have one rule, don't backstab me. And he's like, All right, cool. What if I do it at least three times? Do you guys think that after the Thanos snap and the uh dust away that they just sold that to every single other CGI company that exists and now everyone yes. uses it constantly? Like, they yes. created it and used it, and now everyone has it. Yeah. <laughs> is it like an invention that you can sell and say, like, hey, throw this in your CGI bag? Because now I see it all of the time. Yeah, I think they just realized the power of it. But they don't have, like, Spider-Man to sadly say, like, I don't feel so good, so it's not hitting as hard everywhere else. Well, but what if they the did? Effect. What um, if Vagrant Queen just threw Spider-Man in the background and had him disappear? <laughs> I uh, Cass- it. Cassie, my moment of the week is uh, Alita had a hard episode, but at the end, when Amay and uh, Isaac are at a table... She wears these sunglasses, mm-hmm. and they're very big, and they're not sci-fi show-looking sunglasses. They're just dope-looking sunglasses. Just normal. 
And I, yeah, she killed. She killed those glasses. I love those glasses. And it was her. She was like, I kind of need to be undercover. What if I throw in these aviators? They mm-hmm. look pretty tight. And that was, um, that was a good moment. I think my moment of the week, I think Winniebot is my favorite character because anytime this robot is on screen, it's almost immediately my favorite. But there's a scene where uh, Winniebot's like cleaning the ship and there's like upbeat music playing. And then like it senses something in the ship. So it stops for a second, scans these crates. And it's straight up like it's such a dramatic moment to go from like this upbeat music to like this intense scanning moment. And then it just pops up on screen like no threat detected or just like no threat here. And then the music pops back up and it just keeps going. Love that. So on brand with my humor, and I love that. Yeah, I think that, like, for what the the writers were, like, nervous about doing with Alita in this episode, they love writing for that little robot. Uh Uh-huh. You can tell. They just have fun with the little robot, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, Vagrant Queen is on Thursdays on Sci-Fi. Our next show of the week is Batwoman. On this week's episode of Batwoman, Kate and friends have to team up to find one of her cousins. (gasps) Do Do you guys know who Kate's cousin is? Bruce Vane? <laughs> Cousin's most powerful possessions. Taste buds, I ask you this. If you could own one thing of Batman's, what would it be? Giant Penny. <laughs> Do you feel like you rushed in there and answered, tried to be first, but you answered wrong? No, yeah, was, I was worried I as soon as he got in first. I was like, he's going to take his car, but no, Giant Penny. So, like, thank <laughs> oh, you, shit, the car. Thank you for leaving me the car. I'm obviously going to take that. All right, so, and Cassie, which Batmobile? Is this 66, like, uh, convertible? Is this 89, the one with, like, the, the fins in the back? The yeah. Is, no, this, uh, is this Nolan, which is, like, a the Hummer? The Tumbler? Yeah, the Tumbler. Which the Batmobile? Tumbler, the Tumbler is too intense because that is, like, very H1 vibes. Like, I don't want to be that big of a douchebag, but I will do the one, like, the fins. That one is a clear aesthetic but has enough yeah. wackiness where it's still, it's cool but still wacky and, you like, good utility on that one. That is for sure the Batmobile I'm taking. 89 is absolutely my favorite because it looks like a cheesy 80s like Corvette, which is my favorite car, mm-hmm. but it still has all the things where like, oh, there's a building coming and then like grappling hooks shoot out and then uh-huh. you just drive up the building, yeah. which brings me to mine. It's just grappling hooks. Batman is mm-hmm. second only to Spider-Man in having the tools to be able to fly without being able to fly. And if I just had those things in my hand, I really think that, guys, I would die within the next 60 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you what a... Like- what a death it would be. Not just good at aiming, but good at like making sure it has real purchase and sw- like like physical judgment distance immediately like you're not good at any of this. Also, they live in Gotham Upper City. Upper body strength. They live in Gotham City in New York City. I live in a fucking suburban LA town with literally not a single big building. <laughs> well, it's Spider-Man far from not not far from Homecoming showed us what happens there is you just then have to run and look like an asshole. <laughs> you try to use trees but you just fall and then you're running on the ground. Uh, Batwoman is on Sundays on the CW. Our next show is Katie Keene. On the penultimate episode of Katie Keene, it's the opening of the pepper plant, but Pepper is not celebrating because everything is blowing up in her face. My girl, who I have celebrated all season, is getting her due justice as all of her secrets are exposed and her friends learn of all the ways she hurt and lied to them. She (gasps) begs them to come to the opening because she believes that she can fix it all. And this is Katie Keene, so it does fix it all as the gang sees that Pepper has created a permanent individual spot for them to display their talents. It's almost a fairy tale ending until the cops bust in and take Pepper, Pepper to jail. Taste buds, I ask you this: How long until Pepper is just running that jail? Two episodes. <laughs> That's a, I don't even know if they're actually going to give her any episodes where she like stays in jail. It could go either way, where like we get to see her just like 
use this like this overwhelming charm that I we all agree that she has to run this run this jail, which we're all in agreement, and I'll keep going. She's either going to be an episode of that, or they just immediately like the friends bail her out. She doesn't have family to bail her out, but maybe these friends that she is now. Yeah, her family probably left because she sucks. Yeah, she. Mike, it was confirmed. Her family did leave. She has no family. She's been on her own. Good. <laughs> uh, Pepper Jail is the scariest thing that could possibly happen because although she does not have the charm to like win us over, um, I do think that she has the charm to win a jail and teach them how to not be criminals but instead be more like Pepper. And now we have hundreds of Peppers running around Ooh. and then she's going to create her own jailbreak and New York City is dust. Oh my god. I was going to be bummed because I assumed they wouldn't do like a underground fight club like they did in Riverdale, but if they do that, it would be so much better, and I can only hope for that next season. Uh, Katie Keene is on Thursdays on The CW. Our next show of the week is Supergirl. On this week's episode of Supergirl, Lex proceeds to lay an intricate plan to bring Lena closer to him, defeat Leviathan's latest attack, and pit Supergirl against Leviathan. And we learn how Lex came into power after Crisis revealed. Basically, we get an entire season through Lex's eyes. So, Taste Buds, I ask you this. What can be gained from seeing the whole season we've seen just from a different character's POV? So, is this uh, like the Lex Luthor Forrest Gump edition of... Yeah. And it's I, I didn't even put in the paragraph. Melissa Benoist directed this episode. Her first time directing. And a great way to direct is when you're a protagonist is to make yourself barely in the show because it's all about the villain. I think that's pretty common. I I was actually surprised at how much Alice Cooper was in this episode. Because, like, mm-hmm. give herself a break, you know? Like, chill back and sit in the, that, that fancy chair that nobody finds comfortable. Uh, but, yeah, like, I think that if you have John Cryer... And John Cryer's doing a really good job, right? Yeah. Then I would say utilize it and go through the key moments of the season. Did she get it... Like, did she get, like, those uh, cinematic scenes to shine in? I mean, as a director? Yeah, as a director. No, it felt like not only did the whole thing feel like a montage because they had to burn through six months of story that we've seen from different angles. There was also a couple montages in the episode. So I don't know if I could tell you how Melissa Benoist is as a director. Yeah, see, that's, that's, that sucks because uh, TV directing is hard, but telling a story is just pacing. And so that's how, you, that's how we know is was it paced well? And now you have no idea. Because it's just montage yeah. after montage. I'm going to say no, because we, we got like Lex and Eve working together. And then Lex, like all I know is that like Supergirl, Melissa Benoist also thinks Lex is an evil piece of shit. Because even in the privacy of his life, he's fucking everybody over. The other thing too is that if I'm directing something, I want the fewest amount of scenes, right? Like, uh-huh. And when you have montages, that's like eight scenes There's per minute. F- fuck ton of scenes, man. I want five scenes, and I'm gonna like fucking sit in those scenes and direct the shit out of them. She was probably just doing like that. It, that sounds like a uh, second unit work. Yeah, she did second AD. She's like, everybody take off. I'm doing it all. Mike, do you have? So, a, uh, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, I was gonna say my moment of the week. Hold is, on, oh, wait, uh, Mike. Want, do you have a moment of the week? <laughs> Thank you. I, I do. Uh... So a monstrous alien shows up, and the, the the Obsidian is this like evil VR company that's been working. So everybody has these VR contact lenses, and a giant monster shows up. And uh, I I don't know if it's the stupidest thing or the most realistic thing because all these normal folks can't deal with a giant alien. They they have nothing to do. So instead of running away, they just pop in the VR glasses and then go away. They do not have to deal with the fact and. I don't know if the whole season has been trying to talk about this, but it was hilarious to watch people not even try to run, just be like, no, I'm just not dealing with this. I'll die, but at least I'll be in a field with the rainbows. So it's a lot of 
blue pill people? Yeah. Or is that red uh, pill? Everybody is Joey Pants <laughs> and just going back into the Matrix. It's so rare that I get to see myself on screen. So do people just do that? I'm, I'm into that. Uh, Supergirl is on Sundays on the CW. Our next show of the week is The Flash. On this week's episode of The Flash, it's the return of Godspeed, who is the grittiest speedster in the land and is trying to take Barry's speed once again. This force this forces Barry to patch things up with Pied Piper as they work together to catch what they believed was the real Godspeed, but in reality was just another drone. So, Taste Buds, I ask you this. If Godspeed ever does get Barry's speed, what will they have to change their name to? Because, like, uh, I just have a real issue with Godspeed. I don't understand the name, because, like, I get it, the Flash, you can be there in an instant, in a Flash. Like, I get that name. But if you want to be a better speedster, like, Lightspeed, the name Lightspeed's right there. What does Godspeed well, like, mean? But- Godspeed showed up after a Reverse Flash, after Zoom, after Professor Zoom. Like, it's not, there's not, uh, I guess Lightspeed is Lightspeed's on Lightspeed's right there. It's the fastest thing in the world. Like, why, why did he have to go to Godspeed? It means nothing. I have a real problem with the separation of church and superhero show. So, like, anytime anybody says to me, like, good luck, thank you. I appreciate that. And Godspeed, what are we doing here? And then I I, I don't even know if I understand the word right, because uh, is it, like, Godspeed? Like, God will help you go faster in this? Or why does this bathroom stink? And it's because, like, Zeus and... uh, Hermes were in there, and oh, God's peed. God's and, peed. Yeah, and the, yeah he goes as fast as the urine of the gods. <laughs> you know what? Now I'm fine with the name. Thank you guys for patching that up for me. I do this episode. So this is the fifth Godspeed to show up. It's been a minute, but they're like, but this one's the real one. Why would you ever think any of them are the real yeah. one? They're all going to be a robot, you dumb assholes. <laughs> We've been promoting this episode hardcore on the return of Godspeed. Uh, but now that we're just talking to uh, talking to each other about it, like uh, everybody's already listened, who the fuck cares? Like, what the yeah. f- who would care about this? And the fact that it didn't get like they, you thought this was going to be like a big play for the season. Like they again, they didn't know it was going to be a season finale, but you thought this would have something. And then by the end, they're like, "Nah, it's a drone. Let's move on to something else." So now I don't even know. Like we're back to the mirrorverse. Like that's all they can go to. Well, and, and so yeah, they're trying to figure out the mirrorverse, and that's why they first hit up Pied Piper because he has sound waves and like that is the enemy of mirrors, right? But what's baffling, the last thing we see is there's a dark room, and they're talking about how, who is the real enemy, because all these are drones, and this drone said, we are coming for your speed, so who could it be? And then a weird chamber opens up, and Eva McCullough walks out, who has been the big secret big bad of this whole season anyway. So, it was she a robot in the mirrorverse? It fucking makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it makes so, no sense, and do you want to try and make it make sense? Like, I feel like now <laughs> this show has officially become, like, why I'm not super DC, which is just, and then this person's from over here, but this person's from over mm-hmm. here, and this is the third version of this fifth guy, and, like, man, like, I know you needed new stories, and instead of refu- like instead of coming up with new characters, you just doubled and tripled and quadrupled up on everybody, but, like, now I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. It's gibberish. It's absolute gibberish. But if you want to try to piece it together, it is on Tuesdays on the CW. You do it. You do it and you tell us. We'll bring you on to do the episode to do it. Our final show of the week is Legends of Tomorrow. This week on Legends of Tomorrow, the legends try to use the loom of fate and somebody starts sabotaging the Wave Rider. Meanwhile, Sarah's blind and getting glimpses of the future and Mick's trying to have a weekend with the kid. Taste buds, I ask you this. Ava says the ship is no place for dogs or therapists. Is she the true villain? Yeah. I mean, it's time to accept therapists and dogs into our lives. If you have a cat or a non-therapist, get them out of here. (laughs) 
it felt just like a weird stance from a character. Like if Mick said it, we'd be like, that's Mick. But for her to tell Gary, who is a subordinate, that he, how dare he need a therapist after going to literal hell and no, you can't have that dog in the ship where we fuck things up all the time. She sucks. It's they a, need an HR department. It's a rare misstep for Legends, which, uh, like, not even... You said if Mick said that, it would be acceptable. But not even Mick would say that, you know? Like, right. a lot of these shows, uh, being woke is the most important thing. And I think that uh, knowing that, like, having a therapist deserves no stigma is, like, the least amount of woke you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is 90s woke. Yeah, they played, <laughs> like, they played specifically against these times. They were like, everybody is all about therapists and dogs right now. Let's make her, we're going to make her a clear villain with it. this one sentence. It was a joke in Bad Boys for Life, which means yes. it should get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and then nobody tackled a column, which is what we, if you set up that you make fun of therapists, then that person, Gary, should then tackle a building to the ground. <laughs> all right. Well, we know that we love dogs and we love therapists. Um, Guys, what we got was a talking, very cute, very destructive dog from hell. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at, a hellhound. A hellhound. Basically, at the at the end of a bottle episode, right? Like, yeah. There's one point where Mick and Lita are outside and can see sunlight and trees. After that, this is a straight up bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Um, did that dog do it for you? Like, did it bring the bottle episode together? Yeah, to fit, find out why everybody what was sabotaging the ship is that this dog does happen to be the dog who made Son of Sam kill all those people. Uh, Which, wait, hold <laughs> on. Is that is that two Soonsilbees? Like, he murdered a lot of people, but it was in the, it was in the 70s. It was in the 70s, so now we're okay. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so don't be like uh, Al-Qaeda was convinced by a dog to do the World Trade Center. Like, that's too soon? Well, we're telling jokes, not truths here. So, yeah, that we, that's not what we would want to talk about. Do you see why it's so hard to do a podcast with you? <laughs> we're just trying to talk about superhero shows, and you can't not be a dog, a talking dog truther. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, the bottle episode was a delight because it's all these characters just thrown together over and over and over again throughout the ship. And they all work so we well together. So on any yeah. other show, it might not work. But with these characters, it, it was able to pull off. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's no other show. Not just that we watch, but in the history of time, that uh, I, I'll see that, like, oh, you're saving money right now. This mm-hmm. is budget for a, a future show, and mm-hmm. now it's a bottle episode, and I like both of those equally. Like, it's not even like I'm okay with, like, fine, you have to do a bottle episode. They're both equally as good. And what a good bottle episode does is the opposite of what, Ryan, you were talking about for, uh, I want to say Alita Battle Angel, Vagrant Queen. Uh, what drug trips and dreams are bunk and saying, see, we're showing character growth, but it doesn't matter. Bottle episodes forces characters in a pressure cooker, this and now canon. there's actual character yeah, growth. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like, uh, you don't always get to spend your section of the bottle with somebody that you want to or that you're already gelling with. Typically, you have to spend it with somebody that you're not gelling with, and now we're learning about character on a superhero show. And like how characters think about each other, because John is a newer legend, but he does tell Astra because she says at some point it's weird that everybody's just fine with me going on the ship now. And he says, as soon as they you stop trying to kill them on a weekly basis, you're fucking best friends. They're just they love you forever now. Have you thought about Cassie knowing who our Astras were? Like next week's superhero show show, she brings on blank for you or blank for me, and it's oh, our Astras. And now we just have to we have to do the show now because we're legends. So it's like one uncomfortable episode, and then the next episode we treat them like they've always been here. Yeah, we're bros, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well now i have my plan i'm planning that fully out uh mike do you have a moment of the week uh i i have two because they're both quick one is uh mick is trying to read his apology to his daughter and in it he has to dig at flash and he says a red leather freak 
Uh, and just hit, in Mick's head that Flash will always be a villain, even though Mick is now a hero. And describing Flash as a leather freak uh, <laughs> was fucking awesome. Uh, and the other is, so the son of Sam Dog is making them do it. And they know that at this point. And it, he's working his mojo on Nick. And Nick very calmly is like, well, all I hear is why I should murder you all. And I got to tell you, he's making some really good points. <laughs> like, it wasn't like Mick is na- Nick is now evil. He's just like, nope. I was going to ask you guys if you think that social media Zari is going away because the writers got tired or if that's just because eventually you spend enough time around a character that they become two and then three dimensional. Like, is, yeah. the, is the evolution of Zari going OK? I think so. The, the, the weird thing, I could see her evolving for for a lot of in world reasons, but her the way she was dressed is now an in between old Zari, new Zari. And I was like, that's dumb. That's dumb. You should have kept her new Zari because I don't think she would start wearing those kinds of clothes. Still, I don't know, man. You guys want a you guys want a bottle episode with me to find out what kind of clothes I'm into? Oh no! Oh, no. I gotta shut that tone off, Ryan. Do you have a moment of the week? That dress and those shoes. Great. Um, I'm so glad it's. Up but to you. I, I actually like that Zari's becoming more three dimensional as Nick stays yes. as one dimensional as possible. Both of those things are working for me. Uh, but I have to give moment of the week to uh, Sarah being blind and having to wear a blindfold. And everybody being okay with it because blind Sarah mm-hmm. is more competent than still anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And she kicks that motherfucking hellhound in the face so hard. And that <laughs> is my moment of the week. That is amazing. Uh, Legends is on Tuesdays on the CW. That is it for the pool list. We have done it all, you guys. Mike. Yeah, can, what? Can you tell me about some websites? <laughs> what? What, what, what more do you want? What the fuck do you me? want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, go to yourpopfilter.com. That's where everything we make ends up there. So if you like this show, you'll like what's there. Also, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. Pick a tier. We say $5 is the best tier. You get all kinds of extra content, and you'll love it. And you need time to fill the long-ass days, because when you ain't got work, the days are so... Very, very long. Patreon.com slash filter. And Ryan, we have a lot of shows to fill those days with. What are those other shows that people can listen to? You can absolutely tune in to the OCD. We just recorded our 100th episode, which will be out in a week or so. So celebrate that with us. On that show, we talk about whether or not old school Zari, who wore the plaid and ate the donuts, was hot. Or if this black bros dress that shows like a, such an appropriate amount of leg and much. cleavage <laughs> and then also the high heels this. with all of it uh, and then also movie of the year where we discuss what is the best movie of any given year was the best movie of 2019 Zari's dress or Zari's shoes okay great did you get it all out <laughs> you're getting no other chances Mike how can people rate the show how could they uh, rate this podcast.com slash superhero? It'll take you to whatever the best place to rate us is. Please do that. And Mike, again, Ryan can't come on Mike anymore. Uh, I can if, do it. No, I don't. I don't think you can, actually. How could people reach out to us? You should hit us up on uh, Instagram or Twitter at your pop filter and let us know what you thought was sexier. Is it the God dress? It. Is I it the shoes? Is it, of course, that combo? If you want to get into real just like underwear dripping detail, okay, email us, contact right. at yourpopfilter.com. <laughs> Okay, great. Fuck both of you guys. Sadly, you will be here next week as well. I'll have these two fuck faces with me as we talk about how Barry is going to try to save Irish Iris on the Flash finale. <laughs> Saving the Irish. <laughs> Saving everyone, you guys, even the Irish. And Katie Keene's first season finale. We'll see how that lands. And Legends are going back to college. All of that next week. Do you guys want to, hold on. Do you guys want to decide right now? Which one? About Flash finale or Katie Keene finale? What do, what, do, oh. what do we think we owe the audience? I guess we haven't talked about Katie Keene in a minute, but I don't fucking ever want to. We haven't. I don't know what they're going to do in the episode, so I like my girl I, Pepper. It's got to be Katie Keene, right? It. 
I do know that Katie Keene's finale is intentional, whereas The Flash is That's like Riverdale. True. Guys, right, let's, let's get let's get that pepper spray all up in our eyes. <laughs> and I'll I'll tell you how Flash has fucked it up by saving the Irish. <laughs> the Irish. I'm gonna be so bummed if he saves the Irish and we didn't make it the main event. But be sure Katie to see that. Katie Keene. We'll be talking about it for Mike. I'm Ryan. For Ryan, I'm Mike. For me, I am the black dress. Bye, everyone. Bye.